What's going on, everybody? We have a very special episode for you today. We're going to be delving into the world of baseball and all of the new advanced analytics that come with it. They might be a little bit confusing. They might be a little bit daunting, but we're going to go into them, what they mean, and all that good stuff. And we have a special guest with you today, our new buddy Dylan with the drummy angle. What's going on, buddy? What's up, guys? I'm glad you can have me. Absolutely welcome, man. And as always, we got Brooklyn here, the duo that you've known to love and hate. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. Pleasure to have you, Dylan. And I'm ready to get into this. I don't really know too much about like the advanced analytic world of baseball. It's a whole nother universe when you start looking at that. It goes really, really deep. So it's going to be fun to get a little taste of somebody with a lot of knowledge of it. And hopefully he spreads that knowledge to us and you guys. So... Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, and what I kind of write about with this site is our goal is to actually spread sabermetric knowledge in easy to understand fashion. We want regular fans, we want casual fans to be able to get into sabermetrics more easily. And I'm glad I can at least have this platform to just explain to you guys just some of the more advanced metrics and an easy way. I mean, our goal is for people to understand baseball better. And I think if people can understand baseball better, they can appreciate the sport more, which I think every baseball fan hopes to do. Exactly. And um, we kind of, you and I kind of started talking last week and I saw your, your channel or your Instagram page. And I was like, that's literally exactly the type of content that I would love to talk about because it is something that we talk a lot about a base a lot about baseball on our show obviously we do every sport but we're getting closer to just baseball season right mm -hmm. and a lot of our fans for the most part are guys who maybe don't know what uh drs is or uh exactly what wrc plus is so we're gonna get into that mm -hmm. um what is you know let's just dive right into it what are one of the stats of these sabermetrics that you look at like right away like what are your eyes are going to this when you're looking at a player profile kind of right away i mean it's pretty basic right i feel like but war is war is something that i immediately look at because while it is it's a conglomerate stat it can tell it tells you in a frank sense how many wins a player is estimated to produce. And so there are two types of war, or actually there are more, but generally two consensus types of war are baseball reference war and fan graphs and baseball perspectives has their own thing, but I'm just going to focus on those two. And both of these, they calculate different things and whatnot, and they both have different measures. But I generally go for fan graphs war because I feel like it accounts for more but basically, that's the first thing that I generally look at, especially when telling me about a player. Because there are, thing, there are different types of stats as far as do you want to look at predictive measures or do you want to look at like describing measures. And when I'm looking at a stat to describe a player, war is pretty tell-all as far as what it's able to do and how it's able to articulate value in a defined sense that we can just see on a spreadsheet yeah and uh you mentioned the uh, the two different types um what are the exact differences between the two so it's there are it's a little it's a little cloudy because so technically war is this thing called a black box stat right so we can't actually calculate it ourselves which is a it's a big 
worry within the sabermetric community, but it's worth noting as far as we can't, we don't have the formula for either war. It's not out there. We can't calculate it ourselves in that fashion. We could try to create our own metric of it that's public, but Baseball Reference and Fangraphs have that as proprietary data and proprietary info. So, the, but a big a big difference is so they calculate hitting value a little differently, just as far as what they value in certain things, what metrics they use, what data analytic sites that they're borrowing data from. That's a lot. What differs and um i know a big thing is fangraphs for especially for catchers the big thing is fangraphs calculates for catch framing if you guys are familiar with that at all a catcher can earn runs based on their ability to create strikes and confuse an umpire and so fangraphs calculates for that that we absolutely know of and baseball reference does not and there's a whole other spew of differences that are kind of vague and i I don't think it's necessarily needed to get into, but they are definitely different and they each have their value. Yeah. And we're kind of in a weird gray area right now where um, framing is really, really important as of right now. Obviously, like you look at teams like ours, the New York Yankees, who opt to ditch the high ceiling offensive catcher for guys who really don't have any ceiling at all in terms of offense, but are elite or have been elite throughout their career for framing. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see that, like, the we don't care about the offense. Let's get us defensive runs, like, like you mentioned. Um, but with potentially uh, automated umpires coming out in a year or two, maybe never, whenever that might happen, if it does, um, <laughs> that might just not be a thing, which is kind of interesting that a, a pretty significant difference in the war might just be gone oh yeah i mean 100 percent. yeah i mean teams are valuing i mean war can come from all places right as far as it can come from defense come from offense come from base running it it's it varies so i mean a lot of teams are starting to see more especially at in the past five years are starting to see more value in defensive ability because we're able to articulate it more clearly defense it, like out of any thing of sabermetrics is probably the most behind area so what we're aiming to do with that is that we're trying to make it to where it's not we're trying to make defense and the ability for a fielder to field more calculated we're trying to be able to put it in a better number and previously we weren't able to do that but as teams are more able to do so they're going to start valuing it a lot more and you see that with the yankees moves yeah, and it, yeah. it's pretty interesting, too, because um, you look at guys who have, like, high errors, right? Um, Fernando Tatis Jr., for example, right? Uh, a guy who had shortstop has made a lot of errors in his young career already, but they're going to keep plugging him in at shortstop because they kind of understand that these errors are not actually as detrimental as, like, an error on the score sheet might suggest just because of how they occur and uh, that type of situation. And that's only something we'd be able to understand with these kind of advanced stats. Oh, 100%. And I mean, I, I've, I've gone under this a little bit on the blog, but I'm happy. It's You look at a lot of the conventional fielding statistics, and truthfully, they are horrendous at telling you what actually happened. They're horrendous at assigning blame to who actually deserves it. So, I mean, a guy with a high amount of errors can still be a good fielder, if the error, I mean, 
if the errors are generally like you know not very highly looked upon and whatnot but it's you know i feel like the errors in there and fernando tatis is not a great fielder i'll admit yeah but even though they are able to articulate value when you can hit like that when you can hit at his level it more than compensates yeah absolutely brooklyn you have any um defensive type of questions like that or anything so how do they um measure like whether it's on let's say tatis or the first baseman's fault of the error how would that be measured and shown so it definitely depends so a lot of this it gets into a lot of more advanced data because it comes into the stack hash era to where they track every individual player's movement exactly with cameras and whatnot and so when they're able to do that and they're able to track they're able to track the average of what an expected fielder should do in that situation they're able to create more of a median or what a player should live up to and when they're able to do that if say fernando tatis doesn't do what's expected of the median fielder then they can they can properly assign blame okay he didn't do his job that play he missed it by x feet this way and y feet that way and if they're able to see that and calculate what the difference is between those and the outs that he did not make they can articulate his value from that yeah, and they're so like that, a baseline number that would um for somebody to look at and say, okay, at zero you're you're solid, and then obviously above or below. Yeah, absolutely. So it's so when you look at Baseball Savant or any of the other um, public information, you'll see a lot of them have stats that have a zero baseline. So zero goes out as the major league average so when you see a player it's zero will be not good will be not be better than the average not be worse it'll be that benchmark and say like outs above average if that's one set that's big now so if you take outs above average if a player has it'll everybody will start at zero because they all technically start out as average before the season starts but as it goes on and whatnot and they start measuring what the average fielder should be expected to do in that situation they'll be able to see okay this guy has six outs above average and whatnot and a couple players do thus far i'm pretty sure but it's that's kind of how they're starting out with a normalized basis cool so you mentioned outs above average uh what's like the is there another particular defensive stat you like to look at because i know there's a lot and some kind of build off of others. Like UZR used to be the one, and now we're kind of moving all away from that a little bit, I think. And yeah, absolutely. That's a great point to circle back to because I f- that goes back to that black box stats that I was mentioning you, how there's not a public thing. So UZR was invented by uh, Michael Lightman, and he, he's a really good sabermetrician, but it's also a problem because we don't know everything that's going into it, how he's calculating it. And some people have suggested that there are some flaws within the stat just based on movements and the numbers that we can see publicly. So people are starting to get away from that private black box area of Lightman. And I'm not sure what his company is called, but they, they generally provided info to fan graphs and whatnot for a lot of these defensive analysis and so that's why people when they started seeing the shortcomings they're like okay we maybe need to shift to outs above average because 
kind of know what more can go into this. We kind of know how it's calculated easier, and it appears to be less flawed from some of the stress tests that have undergone it. But defense, it's defense is definitely like in my personal opinion, and I feel like a lot of saber metrics guys would agree is probably the hardest to measure out of any aspect of the sport. It's really hard to measure defense. There are so many variables in play, and it's it takes a lot of data to correctly value a guy. Yeah, and it's it's a lot harder than offense as well, just because offense, if you really wanted to make it simple, did he hit the ball? Yes, no, cool. Like, if you wanted to go fully bare bones. And defense, you just, I guess you could do, did he make the play, but how hard was the ball hit and like where, yeah. what position was he at? Uh, those types of things uh, come into a, a factor and it, it does get tough. So uh, it is nice to see some stats coming out to try and help paint a picture despite how good of a picture it might be. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are just infinite, there are just a lot more possibilities on defense. You have, think about it, you got one guy at the plate who's hitting a ball over the field. Now times that basically by, I mean, times that by nine, honestly. Times that by nine, and that I mean, that's the possibilities you have of a given fielder giving a certain play on a certain ball and whatnot. I mean, it, and that's not exactly how you would, articulate it but it's it's kind of my general point is that just defense is just so hard to value and we're getting sabermetricians and really smart people in front offices are working really hard to try to correctly value this stuff people way smarter than me i'll tell you that (laughs) they get paid the big bucks specifically for that and i get to enjoy it (laughs) you get to absolutely enjoy it uh, going to offense, though, a stat that I really like, and you tell me if it's something that you like, but when we've kind of talked about guys, one thing that I've really liked is uh, weighted runs created. And so WRC plus is the, the shorthand of that. It's like you were mentioning earlier with a stat being rounded at zero being the average, except this one is 100. And I kind of like those 100 averages because you can kind of see like, oh, it's 100. Oh, this guy's had a 65. He stinks. And it's just like <laughs> quick, quick. Yeah. Uh, there's one less number there. Nice. Um, but I've, I've really enjoyed this stat just because it's showing that not necessarily you as a singular player are performing well, but it's kind of more towards team wins as well because you're creating runs and runs directly correlate to wins. So it's definitely something mm-hmm. that I've liked. Yeah, up, it's but... um, yeah. Weight, weighted runs created plus is a great metric and that I use a lot. I I think it really truthfully does have value. It started, I mean, it started around the Pete Palmer, Bill James era, to where they were trying to correctly have give value to players that were actually making runs, right? Like we look at RBIs and whatnot and I, I can go on my RBI rant all day and how I, I, I'm not a big RBI fan personally, but it's, they're trying to correctly assign blame, right? Like going back to that defensive point, they're correctly assigning blame, giving credit to those who deserve it and those who do not. And that's what weighted runs created plus does. So weighted runs created is actually a stat in itself right before weighted runs created plus but when you add the plus and whatnot it becomes more park adjusted 
and it evens out for all the different run environments across the game as you guys know different stadiums have a lot different run production say comparing oracle park who is one of the most pitcher friendly stadiums in the majors and Coors field who you know they just just Ball goes flies. everywhere there but um it's so when they adjust for all that and whatnot, you get weighted runs created plus. And so when you get that type of stuff and you get those metrics that can cleanly tell you the value these guys are actually bringing to their team, that's I mean, I, I love it. And that kind of relates to um, weighted runs created plus and uh, weighted on base average. If you guys are familiar with Loba um, at all, I'm not sure if you guys are or not, but um, weighted. It was a stat invented by Tom Tango, and basically the goal of the metric was to actually give players, assign a numerical value, a numerical weight to each individual part of the game as far as what a hitter can do, like single, double, triple, home run, because slugging, saying a home run is four times as valuable as a single is just not true. So it, when you try to correctly articulate that value with stats like this, you're going to get a lot more accurate metrics that just lead to for people to know actually what happened, which is the whole goal of saver metrics, right? Getting people to know what actually happened in the game. And it's really interesting that a stat can take different ballparks into account because, like you said, with Coors Field, you look at players like, uh, DJ LeMayhew, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, who they ball out at um, Coors Field and then they come to another uh, ballpark and their stats tend to dip a little bit. They go to another team, fans and uh, people are going to be like, eh, they're probably not going to produce as much. So how do they take the ballpark into account? And in what way do the numbers show like, okay, this stadium is detrimental to this guy's stats. If he hits anywhere else, they're not going to really correlate as well. How does that all play out? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so basically how they do that generally, and this will be more of a general idea of it, <clears throat> is so that they take each individual they take <clears throat> sorry. Um Good. they take the uh, run factor. So basically each each ballpark has something that's called a park factor. They measure the amount of runs produced for each ballpark and they put it on that same one hundred scale. One is, it's technically one, but one is average. Anything below one is below average. Anything above is, has a lot more runs. So Coors Field traditionally has one of the highest rates of a ballpark factor just because the air, I think they said when I was, I did an article back on it. It was probably over a year ago, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember a ball is estimated to travel roughly 10 to 11 percent farther just based on the sea level there and i mean that i mean i do, i know personally for my like i got to visit course field that altitude is no joke and it it definitely it makes sense it, yeah. it makes sense i can fly there but um so when a ball is able to do that and when they can correctly get the run value for each stadium they can adjust so if a guy, say, if their run factor is 1.39, right, and a player has half of their games there, they can take those 81 games and they can adjust them to where it would be, okay, like, you know, just doing some inverse mathematics for how you would say, this guy hit this, let's times it by the 
corrected park factor and they would get those metrics like weighted runs created plus and whatnot that adjust for that. So it adjusts it to a one. Is that right? Like it adjusts it to oh, make everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's basically adjusting to the park factor being okay. one. Yes. Of okay. the average. That's really cool. To the average. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the same goes for the opposite for the guys who are in pitcher friendly ballparks. If a yeah. player isn't producing as well and the run environment in the league is not as good, that's also another factor in it. So they also take the run environment in the entire major leagues into account as far as that goes, which differs from year to year. So uh, they take the average hitter part of it also with a number of things. They do a lot. They do a lot to get these metrics and make sure they're accurate. So getting those, like, for example, a lot of guys will have a lot lower of an OPS this year, say, but their weighted runs created plus will still be like, you know, what they were last their year. Their career average are more or less, right? Yeah, because hitters are doing horrendously this year just as a whole. And, I mean, be, I mean, partially due to dead ball, but that's another tangent. But it's... When you get those things into account, they can really get those metrics that account for that and adjust. Yeah, and uh, not not to, to pivot too hard, but you did mention Absolutely. the dead and balls, and I do want to talk about that for a second because Absolutely. I don't know if this is something that you have noticed as well or you and your, uh, your, your people that you have in your corner have talked about, but it feels like the dead and balls have been swapped out. Right. The last two, three weeks, it feels like a lot more hitters are seemingly like I haven't looked at numbers, so I could be completely wrong on this. But it seems like a lot more hitters that were struggling are figuring it out. And now balls are starting to leave. Uh, I've seen a lot more home runs. There was two, three home run games in the last like 36 hours. Um, Do you have any kind of thoughts on like the switching out or do you think they're still dead or why were they dead to begin with? There's a lot to kind of talk about with us, but. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I I think when it's it's hard to articulate now because there's such limited data regarding the last couple of weeks, right? It's a very small sample size. One thing about sabermetrics that you really have to value is sample size. A lot of things need time. Baseball is not one of those sports to where you're getting getting a guy in a I mean truthfully right I mean I feel like the NBA has more true outcomes of what's supposed to happen compared to baseball in a seven game series the better t- a lot of time you have a lot less margin for error say in the NBA or even the NFL in a set I mean if you put them all in a seven game series compared to the MLB the best team so, will win more times yeah yeah the best team generally will win a lot more in those sports than baseball in my personal opinion just based because baseball needs sample size and that's one thing about the dead balls is that we need more time to adjust and we need to know whether it's pitchers because that's one thing there has been pitcher dominance that has been going on forever and so I feel like the baseball, I'm in agreement that the baseball was definitely deadened to an extent. You were getting a lot of the launch angles and the exit velocities that just weren't going as far, and it didn't make sense. And the on, only impact would have been a deadened baseball. So I feel like the baseball was deadened. Whether they were switched out is truly up in the air. I feel like it would be good for the sport, and I feel like offense is way down right now to record lows in the past, like, 50 years. So I I definitely think that 
if once we get more time, and I feel like it'd be better for the league. So I would definitely be on the watch for that. And I could see a switch out happening as MLB has demonstrated they are willing to do midseason based on some of the preliminary findings from some of those reports. So I would be on the lookout for it, but I think the data is not conclusive right now. Okay. Yeah, and then, and then I feel like MLB would just blame it on, oh, it was a shortened spring training, so players come into the year, they're not really hidden as well, so obviously offense is down. My whole thing is, if they switch it, whatever, you guys are weird, do it. Don't switch it again when it comes playoff time, because we saw in the past that it seemed like that happened, and yeah. it was just a bad I mean- outcome. Absolutely. I And I mean, I, I will admit, I like just based on some of the findings, the shortened spring training does have an impact on player performance. Of course. There, there of course. is definitely a correlation there. So I want to consider that as far as part of it. And I mean, it, I mean, that's what happened in 2020 with a lot of the guys, but that was a whole nother basket of eggs. But it was, it will generally have, but it shouldn't have had this big of an effect. And that's why I personally, I mean, and that's why when I've, parsed through all the data and have checked everything i feel like there definitely was a dead and ball but it's i i definitely feel like it would be better for the sport like just as far as a personal opinion right that they reverted to a more springy ball that had a little more offense especially this pitcher dominance that's happening right now yeah i mean wouldn't you like it if you finally squared up a ball it did something when the guy on the mound is uh, who's a great like Kenley Jansen just throwing a demon cutter and you finally square it up and it doesn't break your bat and <laughs> now it just goes nowhere because the ball has less tightness on the throw. I don't know whatever they did to the balls whatever it might have yeah been. yeah I mean it's so I mean I'm not exactly sure what they did I don't think a lot <laughs> no of people idea. are very no, sure except no uh the commissioner's office, but, um, it, it, yeah, it definitely, we're supposed to, baseball in something I appreciate, and that's why I like sabermetrics is it's a meritocracy, right? You're trying to award blame and you're trying to award reward basically when players do good and players do bad. So if they have underlying numbers that support, you know, a home run, then, I mean, they should be getting, they should really be earning that. And, I mean, there are a lot of implications financially and otherwise when they can't. And expected run values and expected, other expected metrics are not right when they don't have, when the balls are adjusted to where X ball hit should be a home run, but it's not. So I, I definitely think it should be more in line with what's regularly expected as far as out of a hitter doing said thing to get said result. Yeah, and then another thing that could come into account, they try to do something where they keep all the balls at like 11 level playing field across all 30 ballparks, where they added humidors to each and every single stadium, which they wanted to do before the COVID season, but they Mm -hmm. finally did it. So maybe that could possibly have any sort of implications on the balls on top of the short and sprint training, on top of them being deadened and all that, because maybe the balls weren't like reacting well to whatever temperature and moisture they have in the humidor. So that could possibly be a thing as well. It's possible. I mean, absolutely. It's a, it's a very scientific process and you have a lot of smart 
scientists who are aware with what the leather can do in certain environments. So I that definitely is something that could have happened as far as the humidors or something is not right or they're doing something or I mean they could be switching the balls I mean that's another yeah. thing too that's like they did that they admitted to openly last season is that some of the balls were different for other series so I mean that still could be happening now I, I yeah. don't want to rule it out I don't have the data to support that and I'm generally against making claims like that but I wouldn't I, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened but I wouldn't rule it out just based no, on prior all. evidence. Yeah. Yeah. And something you were, you mentioned in one of your uh, like spiels was that it affects people like financially. And it's kind of really interesting to think about how, you know, the, the stat cast era has only been since 2015. So we've had about seven, a little over seven years of having these advanced stats with all the cameras and everything to tell us a better version of the story. And, it's kind of hard not to think back as to how many guys might have benefited as baseball players, how many great baseball players never got a true opportunity because they were Joey Gallo in the 70s, so they hit for 130. They didn't get an opportunity to, to hit the ball at Coors Field or wherever it might have been. So it is really interesting to kind of go back. And there's a, there's a guy who I always look at who people regarded him as a great player in general, but if Gary Sheffield played baseball now would be absolutely elite just because he was constantly walking. He had a lot of home runs and uh, he did strike out a lot, but his stats would just represent so much better now. Uh, Is there anybody that kind of comes to mind to you for that? I mean, yeah, there were definitely a load of players. I mean, you got to look at, I mean, not in specific, in specific oh god i can't say that word <laughs> specifically i was gonna try yeah i'm just gonna specifically i i mean not particularly i think i i just think that there are types of players that specifically come to mind so a high strikeout guys right like strikeout used to be i mean it's still to some degree looked at as an immortal sin it's i mean people look like people look at strikeouts like oh my gosh they're the end of the world and when you look at the expected difference between a strikeout a lot of times in a regular just poorly hit ground ball it's it's very different i mean don't get me wrong to a deg- like it depends on the situation if if you got a guy if you have no man on or a guy at third or even a guy at second i mean or just one random base runner that's not at first or no force out opportunity. Sure, I'd rather have a ground ball over a strikeout because it it's it, it's proven in run expectancies that there you're kind of score more runs on a ground ball than a strikeout there. But when you have a force out or something like that or a situation like that, a strikeout and a ground ball are not very different. So I mean, guys that struck out a lot and were looked at as horrible players would definitely be viewed better. Guys who walk a lot, right? Like, they didn't, people didn't value walks. I mean, to a degree that, like, they viewed it as more on the pitcher than the hitter. They looked at it as a less of a hitter skill than a pitcher flaw. So, a guy who's able to walk is actually very skillful. And that's something that guys who were able to get a lot of walks and create those true outcomes of, you know, walk, home run, or whatnot. And the people who were also able to have a lot of additional power. I mean, and then you have some guys, right, that when you put under conventional 
like looks and whatnot, or even sabermetric looks, like you look at anything Babe Ruth did, like as far as that, the great Bambino is considered the greatest of all time. And you look at a lot of his sabermetrics, and he's justified. He's one of the best players of all time based on his time, period. So you look at a lot of guys that are justified by it, and then just as equally, you get a lot of guys that, because of sabermetrics, they're like, wow, this guy was really highly valued, and he sucked, frankly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not, like I said, not specifically, but there are definitely types of players that benefited and types of players that didn't in this new day and age. Is there anybody that falls into that sucked category that you just mentioned that you know of? Um, ah, crap. There, there. I mean, there's plenty. There's obviously. a couple. So, I mean, when I did my all-time rankings, right? It, you get I I did an all-times ranking for my page a little bit with a collab with another guy on Instagram, and um, you you got a lot of players. Um, I want to say there's a couple that just didn't make it. I. Th- I feel like Nolan Ryan didn't rank as good. A lot of call, a lot of people call him one of the best pitchers of all time. And when I when I was running some of my stuff as far as looking at their WAR and a, a couple of other Hall of Fame stats, it he didn't rank as well as I thought he would, just based on whatnot. And he he was a great pitcher, but I I wouldn't venture to call him the best pitcher of all time or even close. Frankly, I mean I think he may be borderline top ten. Is what it, and there's a lot of guys like that. That when you look at the sabermetric data, it's you get more telling of the actual value that they were able to produce. So, it, I mean, don't get me wrong, and I don't want to disparage Nolan Ryan by anything. I love <laughs> Nolan Ryan, I, I think he was a great player. But I just think, as far as some people saying consensusly that he is the best pitcher of all time, is just somewhat inaccurate. Probably just because of how dominant he was. Everybody yeah, had, yeah. In, in that era, seeing him just throw heat like that, they don't know what's coming. They they, they can't hit that. And absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, that's another factor. And you also got to consider that a harder part about a lot of these older guys that maybe were missing something, and I can acknowledge a flaw and possibly my own system or sabermetric systems in general, is we didn't have StatCast data we, or PitchFX data, which was – the private version of StatCast that wasn't as advanced beforehand. So we didn't have that data to tell us, okay, this guy may, you know, their regular, what the stats say he produced may not be as good, but the measures of his, say, his movement on his pitches are some of the deadliest we have ever seen in MLB history. And that's something we could consider, like, if we had that data, which we don't because we had no way to measure it. So, I mean, it's it's hard, right? It's hard valuing those old guys. You can make a lot of assumptions, and based on those assumptions, that's where I got with Nolan Ryan and a couple other guys, but it's just, you know, you don't have a lot of that data that you need to, to make in a 100% accurate stance. And, I mean, that's most sabermetrics on old players, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And like, how cool would it be to be able to go back in time and see the uh, the complete movement on old pitches that don't really exist anymore? Like a screwball, like uh, Fernando Valenzuela comes in and he's throwing his screwball. Yeah. How cool would it be to see the the actual drop and the left and right movement of that pitch? And it'll be really nice. But obviously, yeah, I 
I remember when I was little and I, I read these like baseball books. It was the and me series or something yes, like that. I, I yes. Yeah, you read those. Nice. Yes, okay. I, I love those books when I was like, I haven't read them in a while, but I, I love those books. And I remember the one that vividly sticks out to me is the Satchel Page one. I remember. Yeah. And I'm like, it was hard because so when I was doing my all time rankings, it, I, I basically, we, me and my team ultimately made the decision is that we cut out steroid players and negro league players and that's because we thought the data was incomplete i didn't think we had concise data on these guys to what they actually did in their careers so when we cut those guys out it was hard because essential page may well have been one of the best pitchers of all time in comparison to where he did we don't have the data and if we did that would be just amazing because I, I remember that guy it was like i think what happened was he he put they had they brought it back a pitch gun or something if i'm correct i i that's i read this a long time ago and the gun broke it, which is kind of the ironic part is it conveniently broke when they were trying to calculate how hard he threw and but um it's to where you know it would be really nice to be able to see those stats and to value those guys properly and it's something that's somewhat sad when we're trying to value the overall value of these players in comparison to modern players and we ultimately are unable to like cor- completely incorrectly yeah uh, i saw a really funny um a meme the other day and it was about those books and it was <laughs> it was like if you read the and me is like the honus of me jackie and me you're now in a room looking up stat cast <laughs> <And I> was, <laughs> yeah so yeah, it's funny very... that you brought that up because i saw that like yesterday and i'm like yeah i i did i love those books I mean, they were I, awesome that was definitely a big part of my childhood i'll i'll definitely say too like i've always been into baseball right well I grew up mm-hmm. a Yankee fan, all that, um, and it's it's kind of easier to be super into baseball growing up in the late '90s, early 2000s as a Yankee fan. Like it's kind of easy, um, yeah. but I remember reading those books in, you know, I think elementary school, and I was like, wow, this like baseball is really cool, and uh, it's, it's definitely something I attribute to liking it as much as I do now. So shout out to whoever wrote those books. I don't remember the author, but. I don't remember it. I don't remember it either. I, I mean, I, I'll probably look it up after this just because I'm curious. <laughs> but you know, but yeah, they were they were great. I loved them. I think he's looking it up right now. <laughs> Are you okay? Okay, yeah. I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious though because I, it was. I, I feel like it was somebody I've read other than that too. Felt like like it nope. wasn't an author. They're you really know. good books, and I I remember just being a kid and be like, oh, Abner Doubleday invented baseball. I would have never yeah. known that. I would have just yeah. never well, known and, that. And that's been a big debate, right? Like, is it he even double day inventing baseball? It looks less and less likely as data and historians truthfully look at the records, and it looks a lot less and less likely. But the story, but that story was really nice. Yeah, exactly. It was a really and, nice story. And it's like, I mean, if that is the story of it, cool. And if not, that's and, okay too. But. And I mean, that's a lot of things in baseball, too. I mean, I, I kind of mentioned this um, before when we were scheduling this is um, like Moneyball. Like uh, I was talking about Moneyball. It's the movie and the book, both amazing stories. But there's definitely there's a, not a lot of credit assigned to the right guys who deserved it. Like they didn't the movie didn't m- mention Miguel to Tejada, if I'm correct, once. If I want to, Tejada, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah sorry. Um, if 
They didn't mention him once. He won the MVP that year. They they didn't mention Barry Zito. They mentioned um, Chad Bradford, which don't get me wrong. Bradford great did great for the team. Far from the most valuable player. So it's and I love baseball stories like that because they create that love for the game. And Moneyball is still like my top five movies of all time. So it, that's nothing against it, but it's definitely separating their the stories are great and they do great at promoting the game and promoting the awesomeness of the game but sometimes they definitely take liberty in mixing fact with fiction yeah, yeah. or just and, uh, and real quick dan gutman dan gutman he dang okay he was yeah. he was that was okay Actually, that makes me feel better. I, just knowing that, honestly, because I was genuinely curious. <laughs> Shout out to Dan. Yeah, Dan Gutman getting plenty of people around our age really into baseball. So big shout Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Did you bring up Moneyball too? It's kind of funny that yeah, they don't mention Miguel Tejada yet. You know, if you talk to an A's fan or a, a baseball fan. They know that he was on that team, but then if you've seen Moneyball, just because it is a fantastic movie. You would just never know about the the best player on the Oakland Scott A's. Hatterberg. Scott yeah. Hatterberg. <laughs> Mr. Moneyball, Scott Hatterberg. And I'm like, eh. Mr. I mean, if you want to really take Mr. Moneyball, take, uh, I don't know, Barry Cito, Miguel Tejada. I mean, one of those guys definitely need to be promoted. But it, they're, they're trying to tell a story. They're trying to tell. They're trying to, like, it's the underdog story. And saying you have an MVP and a Cy Young on your team. <laughs> doesn't is, fit the narrative. <laughs> it, it doesn't. And, it you know, doesn't. so you got to go with that. And, I mean, like I said, it's it's lovely for the game. But you just, you got to make sure that even when you view those stories, you're kind of considering in the back of your mind what actually happened. Just in my personal opinion. Well, and something kind of funny that ties into that, right? So that team, they have a Cy Young, they have an MVP. And it's partially because they were so successful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you fast forward uh, however many years to, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's the first guy to do it, but the uh, Felix Hernandez Cy Young season. That's really the first season they ever give one of those awards to a guy on a team that's not very good. And, mm-hmm. and, and he doesn't have a lot of wins. And it... it took a while and we're it took some looking into the actual picture of it all but we're finally getting there and now you're seeing the grom two-time cy young winner been in the playoffs one time uh you're seeing those guys that deserve awards and deserve the credit and it's finally starting to reflect in in like gold gloves and all that and mvps uh post 2015 are finally starting to reflect that too um, it's nice to see, like, guys, again, be assigned the credit deserved. Oh, I mean, and absolutely, and that's, I mean, I'll give Sabermetrics credit. That That is all Sabermetrics as far as giving a guy without a lot of wins and without a good team Cy Young because previously they're like, okay, this guy's team do good. If this pitcher did good, this team did good automatically correlated right like it's just yeah, an automatic to, right they, yeah they had to they're, and i'm like it's just not the case and when they're they were finally able to articulate value for these guys and like war like that's the first set i mentioned right war and like talking and going into i'm like that being able to correctly value those guys and how many were worth more wins than the other is why 
teams are no longer, I mean, voters are no longer subject to the conventional inaccurate stats like wins and losses that are incorrectly assigning blame and hurting players that don't deserve to be hurt. Yeah, like we're it's not, not their fault that their team sucks. Yeah, or not there. producing runs. I don't remember the number, yeah, and I don't want to look into it, but like the Grom in those two Cy Young seasons, because I'm pretty sure they were back-to-back, had like an insanely low. It was like if his team scored three runs in all of his starts, he would have not lost a single start. Yeah. But they didn't do it, and he had a losing record. Yeah, that was it. Was I? Um, I think. I mean, last year especially. I so I um in my personal fantasy league with a couple of, with some of my buddies, um, we basically, I I had I had Jacob Degrom, and so he didn't have a great end to season. But I drafted him for my first round, and you would it would hurt because a lot of my friends they genuinely genuinely believe in a lot of the conventional stats or and they're somewhat anti sabermetric because they just aren't. They just, I don't know, they view it as somewhat as an attack. So they're like, I, I, I tried to recommend quality starts, didn't work. Um, but you take guys like DeGrom, right? And he'll put up, like, an amazing outing, outing over 10 strikeouts, so six, seven innings, and he'll get the loss. It, it Because he gave up, maybe DeGrom has been known, he, he'll give up, like, a homer. Like, one single, singular homer maybe like second inning or something and that he did great the rest of the start he made one bad pitch and he lost he got the loss and i mean in our league that's minus five points it varies but it's having guys like that that are incorrectly hurt like degrom is the perfect example that like is on the top of my mind of a guy who sabermetrics has really helped because it's really been able to show his value when his team can't yeah. yeah, because in the bigger picture of it, when it's all said and done and they're giving out the awards, and just a regular fan who's not really looking deeply into the advanced uh, stats and uh, all that and just looking at everything that the team has done, oh, this player's on a bad team? He has to suck. He's not good. But having the sabermetrics and the advanced analytics, you can look at the player and be like, all right, cool. Shout out. Good job. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's just, again assigning credit where credit's due and the grom i mean sabermetric wise when healthy right so that's a big if nowadays so um when healthy i mean easily the best pitcher in baseball it's gonna be cool too because no matter where he ends up if he ever pitches again or if he's ever as good as he as he was however many wins he ends at he's likely to be the best pitcher with that many wins just because of how few he's kind of had Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's absurd. I mean, what he can do, and I think that's part of the arm injuries too, is at his age and stuff like that, I, I would almost deem it unnatural. And put, and I mean, judging from the injury status and whatnot, unsustainable, frankly, of how far, how fast he's able to throw a pitch. And so I feel like him and his trainers definitely need to work on still. Being ineffective to a degree, but putting in less effort. He needs to put in less effort into every individual pitch while maintaining some effectiveness. But he, the way he pitches now, even despite his greatness, it just it can't be sustained. 
I, like I genuinely don't. He will get injured again when he go, when he comes healthy. No UCL is meant to take that man. Our, our UCL is only meant beating. to take so much. And no, no UCL is designed for an 101 mile per hour Jacob Degrom fastball mixed with like. I mean, I know he. I mean, his, his slider speed, hits like 95 sometimes. Yeah, that's crazy. what I felt like. His slider is from the fast. I'm like, he's just like carrying it. Like I just, it's yeah. just, I can just, he almost hear it. I feel like just with how much stress he's putting on that, and you, and I just think his trainers need to be like to him, like, hey, Jacob. You're incredible. Maybe if you went to 95% instead of 100 this time, you could, I don't know, maybe save an injury. But also, I mean, season. <laughs> you gave up a couple, you give up a couple of more runs. Great. You're still one of the best pitchers in the entire MLB. Yeah. And it's crazy because baseball is probably the only sport outside of like combat sports with MMA and boxing where like you're putting your body through something that it just should not be doing time after time and after time. And you're just one like pitch away from c- catastrophe, and it's like, well, that that's the name of the game. Keep doing it, but yeah. it's the only sport. Like you don't look at football or basketball or like cricket or tennis or anything like that. Golf that you're at that much risk every time you do what you well, need to do on the field. Well, Joe Burrow behind the Bengals line last year was a lot of risk. <laughs> <laughs> As <laughs> a Cincinnati guy, that was that was painful to watch. So I mean, you're right, but like I, some of those football guys, I'm like every play, you know, that might be a blast. I, 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 yeah. I was, I mean, I especially like running playing. backs too. Oof, they yeah, they, running some of the backs. Hits they too. get I mean, scare me. You had Derrick Henry, right? Who's getting thirty plus carries a game, and I mean, Derrick Henry's line of thinking, right, is the same line of thinking I think with Degrom. Dude is putting, having to put a hundred percent every play in being absolutely amazing. But when you have as much volume as he does, and like Degrom being the one, number one pitcher, right? Num- like you're generally going to get the most innings just based on how the season works. So if a guy like Degrom putting in the most innings for his team while also exerting the most effort during innings, it's not generally a recipe for sustainable success as far as injury-wise. Well, and just the more you get hurt, the more likely you are to get hurt again. Oh, yeah, 100%. Guys who, I mean, guys who are with with Tommy John are definitely more likely to get Tommy John again. I mean, it's amazing what the surgery can do, and it creates a new arm. But you'll see guys who have gotten Tommy John two, three times. Yeah, like I they know. exist Zach in Britton, the MLB. He's on his second yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you got a lot of guys too that are getting Tommy John younger. I I mean, I know just from some personal examples. I know some uh, kids that like have played have played in in high school, like that I know of that have gotten Tommy John and have gotten on to pitch in the minor leagues, pitch in the pitch in college, and then eventually go to the majors. So, I mean, it's like, you know, when you have a lot of the surgeries younger and you're putting a lot more effort on your arm a lot younger, I also think that's another factor we need to be looking deeper into as we evaluate injuries. Because I feel like when you're hurting your developmental aspect that young, like with a lot of these, like, little league guys, right? Like... I, I'm not trying to be mean, but I don't think a 13-year-old should be having to throw 72s, 12-year-olds throwing 70s, 72s. Like, it, that's great, and that's awesome. It's highly unnatural, and pitching is not a natural motion in itself. And you're going to get a lot of those kids that 
never be able to have a healthy arm again because they're exerting so much effort when they're young and it's so sustained and it's so constant that their arms are just going to fall apart. And I mean, I think that's what you're getting just with the higher major leagues injury race in general is that you get guys that are putting so much pressure on themselves at such a young age as far as that. And as they slowly become big leaguers, while you, and in theory, right, they should be stronger based on muscle, their arms are still, I mean, they're great, but they're also tattered. Yeah. They're also injury prone. So, you know, that, and that's a little bit going into medical science, which I'll admit is not my personal area of expertise, but it's something that I really think more teams and even sabermetricians where they can look into more deeply. Yeah, and, you know, there's there's obviously value in being healthy. Like, you can be the best at anything in the world, but if you're not out there doing that thing, how much are you really bringing to us? And, I mean, in, in the major leagues in general, too, right? Like, you take, like, football, right? They don't – a lot of those contracts aren't guaranteed. And so when you get, like, sports like baseball where you have a decently high rate of injury – and these guys are still getting paid, whether they are healthy or not. Keeping a player healthy is just that more important. Yep. Football, you can cut a guy. It's like, oh, my O-lineman that I signed for a five-year deal tore his ACL and is never going to be able to block Aaron Donald again. Cool. <laughs> hit, the, hit the road, Jack. And you got to just get him out of there uh, and save millions where you can't really do that. So invest in your medical, please. Keep Aaron Judge healthy. Yes. <laughs> Keep yes, Mike Trout yes, healthy, yes. please. For the love of God. Please, uh, if, and Fernando Tatis, please, no more motorcycles. No more motorcycles, dude. No more. It, it's, it's Eloy Jimenez, stop playing the outfield. Like, <laughs> really? Like, just I think, mean, I mean, you know, things are preventable sometimes. <laughs> Let's yeah, prevent they, they, re they really, really are. And it's... Yeah, I don't know. I, I I mean, that's why I was. That's another aspect of the DH that I was a huge fan of. Um, you got a lot of guys. You're gonna be extending a lot of careers in the National League, which yeah. is. I mean, look at Nelson Cruz, right? I mean, he's like forty. Granted, he's not playing well, but yeah. I, it, I mean, yeah. Don't get me wrong. But he's not playing great, but like, he's still playing. And I mean, he just extended his career by another year, which I think is pretty cool. You get a lot of guys. I mean, Cincinnati, right? Like Joey Votto. That he, was the he, guy I was thinking wrong. of, too. He, he, he's horrendous, right? But if he does want to play out of his contract and the Reds want to pay him the major league minimum, which I'll be fine with. If the Reds want to waste a roster spot on Joey Votto for the major league minimum or a little more, I will be completely fine with that. So if they want to do that, put him in the DH, start him occasionally, I think it'd be entertaining, personally. I mean, not that's not very Sabermetric-oriented, but I think it'd be uh, having that DH spot to put a guy like that is, I mean, overall, like, a good thing for the sport. Yeah, and that's kind of it, it brings a couple of the things that aren't very calculable. Like, you can't calculate the value that having a former MVP brings. And I don't know how much it is. Uh, I don't know. A lot, obviously a lot of sabermetric guys don't necessarily believe in like clutch or, you know, that type of experience, but I do think there is some semblance of value in having Joey Votto on your team, bringing in Josh Donaldson over Gio Rochella, despite them maybe being the same player. Like those and, things. Mean and I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry to cut you off. No, you're good. Um, you're good. 
Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, and that, and I mean, that brings up another amazing point is that in thinking about sabermetrics and in thinking about baseball, you also need to acknowledge its shortcomings, which it definitely has. We are the sabermetric field is far from perfect, as is most many academic fields just in general. So when you have, you got to acknowledge that a clubhouse presence does mean something. I, I am of the true belief that it does. I feel like it's very hard to articulate. I don't know if we'll ever be able to articulate it, frankly. <laughs> but I but I mean, like, I mean, I remember, I think it was uh, Astro Ball, right? I was reading about, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, that book aged very poorly with the cheating scandal. But it was still a good book. But um, it was, I remember they, they made a big deal of Carlos Beltran being on the team and the value he brought as a mentor to these players and to what that and I I genuinely believe having a mentor like that a clubhouse presence does add value and that's something that sabermetrics can't hardly articulate because they're assigning value to the individual player but I mean the source of that value definitely could have been from a clubhouse presence you also got to consider the financial factors right how much money actually is Joey Votto bringing in I mean, I know as a Reds fan, Joey Votto is probably, like, for the people only who reason don't know to go baseball. To the the only reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people who don't know baseball in Cincinnati, they know who Joey Votto is. They, I mean, they may not know a single other member of the team, which I have met many fans who don't, or just as far as that, like, especially at this Reds roster now. They don't know any single member, but they do know who Joey Votto is, and there is value in that. Yeah, and... You know, however you can get value, I think, is is pretty important. Yeah. And obviously, the goal of baseball in terms of it as a sport and entertainment is to make money and provide entertainment. And at the end of the day, if Joey Votto is making my experience better, despite my team being bad, keep him out there. I don't know. 100%. 100%. Yeah. But um, I think we're going to wrap it up right around there. We're almost at an hour, so I do want to cut that off but dylan i appreciate your time i love the insight that you have and would absolutely love to have you back i hope you had a good time um absolutely and uh before we get off just go ahead and promo all of your stuff again we mentioned at the top but where can we find you and all of your uh stuff at um so i am so we are on technical we have a bigger instagram presence than twitter but so we have our website the and um i'm pretty sure it'll They'll probably have my name spelled out correctly somewhere, so I, I won't really have to spell that out. But so the drumangle.com, we basically market to the more conventional fan to where we try to teach people more about sabermetrics and introduce them to metrics that they may not know to make them smarter about the game. Um, we are on Twitter, and I, I try to stay active with that. It's a little more difficult, but if you really want to find us, get in contact with us. The most easiest place would be Instagram. That's how we re- I was reaching out for this podcast, um, and that's how that's where we post a lot. We post a lot of baseball content that isn't just on our blog. Also, that we provide a lot of insight on just players we like or fantasy stuff occasionally. But it's we try to we try to provide knowledge throughout. But um, yeah, feel free to follow us at the Instagram same handle at the Drummy Angle. And um, it's it's really been a pleasure, guys, uh, doing this. And I've really enjoyed talking baseball with you guys. 
Yeah, man. It means a lot. Again, appreciate having you on. Make sure you guys go follow him if you don't already. Make sure you follow us at the spect- or at Spectators Media. almost said the old at there. At Spectators <laughs> Media. Uh, check us out on YouTube if you didn't watch this on there. And we'll be back on Monday with a regularly scheduled episode. We'll see you guys next time. Peace, Peace everybody.